it takes a village to deliver product and to launch new products in the market. Product management is sort of the center of all of that, but has to work really well with the marketing team on how to position the products, with the support team on how to answer the, the questions and the sales team as well. How do they position the product in the market? And the product team is right at the center of all of those activities. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Hey everybody, it's Alex here. We are officially in the month of May, and you know what that means? SASDOC USA is just around the corner. May 31st to the 2nd of June, we are bringing 800 SAS founders, 100 actively looking investors with their checkbooks, 60 incredible expert speakers together for all things SAS in Austin, USA. I can't wait. It's going to be an unreal three days of networking, connecting, learning. Personally, I'm quite tempted by the uh, indulgence of Texas barbecue. I've never done that before. You can still get your tickets. We are 75% sold out, uh, but get your tickets. SAS Revolution Show listeners, we're giving you an extra 30% off. So use code SASREV, that's S-A-A-S-R-E-V, to get your tickets to join us at SAS.USA in Austin, 31st of May to the 2nd of June delighted uh, today to be joined by Sherry Fernandez, who is the Vice President of Product Management and User Experience at Globalization Partners. Welcome, Sherry. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast. Um, whereabouts are you today, Sherry? I live in the greater Boston area, Massachusetts, so just south of the city. Okay, very cool. I've been to Boston once in, I, I think it was December, maybe not the best month to, to come. I... <laughs> Wasn't prepared, I don't think. Uh, I just remember it, it being absolutely freezing outside and me wanting to go inside at every opportunity. So I missed, uh, I think, a lot of the uh, uh, the city. I was there for a conference at the time, but yeah, very cold in the winter, for sure. You need to come back in the fall. That's the best time to see the city. Yeah, indeed, indeed. It does, it does look very nice uh, in the fall. So maybe I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll look to do that uh, for sure. But um, yeah, here um, it's spring in the UK, the sun is shining. Hopefully that comes across in, in, in my voice. I'm feeling like in a good mood after three weeks of uh, rain and, and crappy weather. Um, but, uh, but let's dive into it, Sherry. Um, you know, let's tell the audience who is uh, Sherry Fernandez. <laughs> Great. Um, well, I think first and foremost, I'm a wife, mother, aunt, sister, daughter, and then I'm a product leader second. So I've been working in software for about 25 years. As you mentioned earlier, I'm currently the global vice president of product at GP. I manage both the product management team, product operations, and the user experience team. I've been here just over two years and it's been a really exciting time for me. Um, and prior to that, I, I've spent most of my career, ironically, in HR technology software. Okay, it may, makes sense and uh, probably um, uh, answers my next question, but in terms of like, why did you join Globalization Partners, given your background, it, it, it seems a, a logical progression, but what, what was it about Globalization Partners that kind of attracted you to, to that? What's the story there as well? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting story, actually. Um, before coming to GP, I was working at a smaller startup in Boston that was creating a two-sided recruitment marketplace using AI. So we were matching recruiters um, that had successful placements with companies looking to fill roles. I was very happy there. Wasn't really looking for an opportunity, but I was approached by a recruiter. And I always take the call just to see what else is out there, what my worth is in the market. Um, and as I started talking about this particular opportunity with a recruiter, I got really excited for a couple of reasons. One, the mission of the company. So GP's mission is to break down the barriers to global business and enable opportunities for everyone everywhere in the world. Um, the second reason was it was a female founder. So Nicole Sahin is amazing. She is quite the entrepreneur who started this industry from the ground up and I loved her story. Um, also, GP is extremely high growth. I've never seen anything like it before in my career. And I wanted to be a part of this rocket ship that she was building that was going to go to the moon. Um, and so all of that is why I took this opportunity. GP has just this amazing culture and it allows me to work remotely and provide me with the work-life balance that I was looking for. These are all great, great reasons there. And uh, I think, as you said, always take the call. Um, uh, you, you know, I think uh, what even obviously the, the SASTOC team that are listening to this, you know, take the call, you know, know your worth. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it's sort of key uh, advice there and uh, you, you, you never know. But um, yeah, and also on the female founder stuff, um, you know, so very rare in SAS. Um, we will jump into that um, uh, in a bit, but uh, great to see the rocket ship, uh, rocket ship that's uh, being built uh, 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 as well and uh, really kind of uh, excited to learn more about some of the secrets there and uh, you know why uh, globalization partners is such a rocket ship uh, uh, as well um, what what data the, or what, actually I mean you, you kind of mentioned in terms of what globalization partners does but can you can you give a few more kind of insights and then what about the data that you can share from the company we talked about it being a rocket ship but what makes it so yeah, sure. Absolutely. So GP is the pioneer and recognized as the leader in the global employment industry by both Nelson Hall and Everest Group. Um, I mentioned Nicole, who is the founder, and we've been in the business for about 10 years, helping thousands of customers build and manage teams around the world. And they do it in a way that they can quickly and compliantly hire folks in up to 108, over 180 companies, I'm sorry, countries, over 180 countries without navigating all the complexities within legal, tax, and HR issues. Um, from a company statistics perspective, we've seen 75% year-over-year growth. We're at 300 million in ARR. We have a 96% customer satisfaction rating. And again, that's thousands of customers in 187 countries. And we're about 1,200 employees all around the world. These are some pretty uh, pretty great statistics there. 300 million, uh, over 300 million ARR, 75% year-on-year growth. What impact um, to your growth and I guess to your top line had, um, had COVID? Because we saw like a number of similar uh, businesses really accelerate sort of like during that period. Would you say that was a kind of a real big catalyst? I don't know where GP was before COVID and where you were, well, we now know where you are today. But what, what would you say the impact of, uh, of COVID had to GP? Um, yeah, so our business model was doing really well before the pandemic, but the pandemic did 
open up organizations' minds to talent anywhere in the world. We were all working from home for several years and our efficiency remained at the same as it, if not better than it was when we were in the office. And so this model skyrocketed from the pandemic and continues to, as organizations really rethink their global footprint and where they can find talent. Um, so what are then, I guess, kind of some of the, uh, the, the, the lessons, maybe sort of like three lessons from uh, GP's growth over the last two years uh, that you can share? Sure. Um, I think the first is all around getting the technology right. So our team is really focused on innovation and that's what's driving our success. We listen to our customers and we've had a lot of new product innovation come out of these conversations with customers thinking about their global expansion and where they have challenges. Um, so we need to make sure we're listening to the customer, we're innovating on our technology stack, and we're also not building everything ourselves. Globalization Partners really looks at finding the right partners that are going to complement our product suite. Um, we have an extensive partner network with over 400, including ADP, Paychex, and Trinet, um, where we have really deep integrations with these technologies to help provide the best solutions to our customers. Makes sense. So listening to your customers, I mean, I love to hear that uh, no matter whether you're just starting out or even if you're at 300 million in ARR, uh, I think just the key uh, of that, I mean, you know, if you want to know where, you know, the pulse of your business and you really kind of, you know, how to grow the business is speaking to your customers, right, uh, is a big key. And sometimes um, we take our eye, you know, off that, or certainly some companies companies do. And, uh, and I think very much that in the early stage for startups, a lot of the, the reason that there's such a high failure rate, uh, you know, within startups is they're not speaking to their customers enough and they're not building something that you know the customers actually need and want um so we we, we see that time and again so it, it's just lovely to hear that you know uh, when you're at 300 million arr that you, you know part of the keys to your success you know is the obvious things it's speaking to your customers right yeah and it's about being flexible right like we set our roadmaps and we have a three-year plan but the market changes so quickly in technology you got to be flexible and be able to adapt as new technology comes out in the market or the dynamics change for example who could have predicted the pandemic yeah no exactly and and, and, and i mean just on, on that note uh say um the sector that you're in uh has seen i think certainly uh in my mind uh, a, a lot of uh, similar players you, you know for like come out during the pandemic and uh, surface, they're probably there, like uh, Globalization Partners have been running for 10 years, right? But uh, the pandemic has really kind of uh, accelerated that. But what, I, what I've seen is that a couple of your like competitors have not fared so well post-pandemic. One has done really well, uh, I won't mention them, but uh, a couple of them have not done so well. Uh, and perhaps they weren't necessarily sort of like ready to adapt to a post-pandemic world. Um, so what was it do you, do you think like with you guys that kind of like helped to adapt not only during the pandemic, but to a post pandemic world? Was it was it simply like, you know, speaking to the customers and that being a part of it? I think that's a big part of it. And I think it's about being flexible. So we started out as an employer of record company. Um, but as we started talking to customers and we're watching shifts in the market, we started to introduce some new products based on our customers' feedback. They were struggling not only to onboard that talent globally, but to find that talent. So last year, we introduced a new product called GP Recruit, which will not only help them onboard in those countries, taking all the legal complexity out of it and the compliance, but also will help them find that talent through our vast partner network. So when a company's looking to expand, 
into a new country, they may not have those connections with recruiters in that area or may not know which recruitment firms that they can trust and that will find them the best candidate. So we have a new product offering to help with that. We also have seen a shift um, in terms of moving from full-time professionals to also hiring contractors. So we've also introduced a new product called GP Contractor to help with all of their global hiring, whether it be a full-time professional or contractor, again, in 180 countries. You mentioned um, uh, earlier that you your founder is uh, Nicole Sahin, right? And uh, yes. Yeah, there, there are not that many female founder-led SaaS businesses, right? And in the, the Forbes Cloud 100, uh, I looked, uh, I think the other week, there are only five uh, cloud companies that in the Forbes Cloud 100 that are founded or led by women. Why do you think this is? And, you know, and, uh, and with Globalization Partners being uh, female founder-led, what is the impact of that, you know, on your particular business? Yeah, I, th I think there's a couple. A couple reasons. Um, first, the technology industry has has really historically been male dominated. Women have faced a number of challenges in this field and breaking into this field. Um, there's a lack of role models and mentorship. Women might be less likely to pursue a career in technology or entrepreneurship if they don't see as many successful women in this field. But then I also think there's access to funding. So female entrepreneurs may face challenges securing venture capital and other forms of funding that can make it difficult for them to start to start a business or even grow to a successful company. And then also from on a more personal note, I, I feel like women face unique challenges in balancing their professional and personal responsibilities, which often can make it more difficult for them to devote the time and energy it takes to really create a startup and, and grow it into a successful business. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And um, as we, we, we previously spoken before about Globalization Partners being um, you know, quite the product-led organization, what is it, I mean, because PLG uh, has been around longer than the last sort of couple of years, but really is in vogue, I would say, the last couple of years. Um, uh, what is it that makes uh, Globalization Partners or GP, you know, a product-led organization? Yeah, I think there's four things. First, we're customer-centric. GP places the customer at the center of everything that we do. Um, the company's product development and innovation teams are driven by customer feedback and we focus on the customer, ensuring we're developing products at the company um, that are really relevant and useful to the end user. I think it also, uh, it's a product first mindset at GP. We put the product at the center of everything we do. Um, we deliver the highest quality products that meet our customers' needs. And that's what differentiates us a bit from our competitors. Um, we also make data-driven decisions. So GP uses data and analytics to inform our product decisions. Um, the company collects and analyzes data on all customer behavior, market trends, product performance, and really look for those nuggets within that data to help drive our decisions. And then lastly, and probably the most important one is just continuous improvement. GP is committed um, to iterating on our products. We're not always gonna get it right the first time and we need to listen to our customers, watch how they're using the product. Uh, and use agile methodologies to test, learn, and iterate on our product development cycle. I guess you've definitely given some instances there and insight what makes you a PLG organization. Uh, given your role, um, you know, as a VP of 
product management and user experience. You know, what, what are some of the examples of, of PLG that you've, you've, I guess, specifically been involved in uh, for GP that have really moved the needle of the business that perhaps, you, you know, our audience, you know, could learn from? Yeah, I think without, you know, divulging too much, all of our newer products are designed to be really intuitive and easy to use, providing customers with a self-service experience that encourages them to try the product, adopt the product, um, and purchase the product. And so we have some products in market that are at maybe a lower price point and don't war warrant such a long, arduous sales process. Um, spending a lot of marketing dollars driving traffic to the website. We want the product to be the front and center and do all the conversion for us. And so that's really been our focus over the last year or so is making it really simple for customers to find us, to understand what we do, to try out the products and then convert to happy paying customers. And, and you, so as, as VP of product management, you know, how does your role drive growth within the business? Uh, you know, specifically, again, examples that you can share, you, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week, this specific sort of role, you know, driving uh, the business growth? Yeah, so any VP of product management plays a really critical role in a business. Um, they're responsible for overseeing the development and the management of the product portfolio. Um, there are a couple of key growth drivers. First is identifying market opportunities. So, they can conduct market research, analyze feedback, and work closely with the sales and marketing teams to determine which products are more likely to succeed in the market and also which products they need to go and create. Once they've identified these opportunities, they're responsible for developing a product roadmap. This is really the ex on the execution side of things. Um, the roadmap should be aligned with the overall company growth strategy and should also take into account the needs of customers, market trends, and also what the competition is doing. The product manager is also responsible for um, managing the entire product lifecycle, which involves working with cross-functional teams within the organization to not only launch new products, but also figure out what to do with the existing products. Um, sometimes you have to make that difficult decision about sunsetting a product based on its performance or how it's doing in the market. And then I think that is the most important piece is around collaborating with other teams. It takes a village to deliver product and to launch new products in the market. Product management is sort of the center of all of that, but has to work really well with the marketing team on how to position the products, with the support team on how to answer the, the questions and the sales team as well. How do they position the product in the market? And the product team is right at the center of all of those activities. Awesome. Uh, let's move into the quickish fire round now, Sherry. Um, so what one thing has moved the needle the most for you in your career? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I would say early on in my career, I was in professional services. So I was a project manager. And a lot of people hear that and they think these roles are very similar. And they do sound similar, project management versus product management, but the responsibilities are very different. So I was working for a small startup that was acquired by a much larger company and the leadership team tapped me on the shoulder to take on this product role. And at the time, I had no idea what product management was. Um, they said, you have a, a technical background, you can speak the same language as the engineers and you're really good with customers. So I took a chance, took a risk, and it was probably the best decision that I've made in my career, um, being in being a product leader or growing into being a product leader. 
Awesome. Um, what's the best advice you've ever received? Best advice? Um, I was working with a career coach at one point, and he said to me, Sherry, perfectionism is an illusion. In fact, I have a little pink sticky on my desk to remind me of that every day. There aren't enough hours in the day, so I'm the type of person that could continue to tweak and tweak and tweak and never really be fully happy with the outcome. So I just keep asking myself day in and day out, is this good enough? Do I need to continue to work on this? Because it's never going to be perfect. Perfectionism is an illusion. Uh, agree, agree. Um, what is the biggest failure you've made and lesson learned? The biggest failure I would say is releasing either a product or a feature that the customers don't use. You know, that's really disappointing when you invest so much time and energy and working with the engineering team to release a piece of software and you're really excited about it and then no one uses it. And so what do you learn from that? That just shows how important not only is the execution side of a product manager's job, but it's the discovery up front, working with customers to understand their pain points and making sure that the solution you're putting in place is going to solve those pain points doing all that research and user testing upfront so that the execution becomes the easy part of it. And when you're done delivering the feature, you work with the product marketing team to launch it and customers readily adopt the feature. What do you think uh, is the hardest thing uh, about building a startup in 2023? Ooh, good question. Um, I would say it's the economic uncertainty um, inflation is posing a lot of challenges. Funding has slowed down significantly. I think a lot of startups are also seeing drops in, in valuations. Um, so these macroeconomic forces are really shaping the world economies. It's, it's partly the pandemic fallout continues. And then I think there's also a per perceived talent shortage in certain sectors, in certain geographical locations. Yeah, no, agree, agree. And what, what does your daily routine look like? <laughs> oh, well, um, I wake up early. I try, I, I, as soon as I wake up, I pick up my phone, which I know is a bad habit, but I admit I do it. I check my email, I check LinkedIn, I see what's going on in the world. Then I try and take some time to myself, do a Peloton ride, get ready for to start the day. And then I wake up my kids. I like to have that quiet time to myself in the morning. Um, but I do like to make sure I sit down with my, my two girls and have breakfast with them. So I have my coffee, get them on the bus, and then my day starts. And I actually have organized my day so that the very first meeting I have is a stand-up with my engineering counterpart. So we get together daily um, for a quick 15-minute check-in. What, what's, what's on tap for the day? What obstacles do we need to, to move together? And then the rest of the day really varies from day to day, depending on uh, on the week. It might be working on slides uh, for a board deck. It might be um, doing a customer advisory board. It might be working with a PR team. Um, so there's a lot of variety. But I try also to take a break around lunchtime, maybe go for a walk, put my AirPods in, listen to a podcast. Again, trying to get some of that me and, and think time in my day. Then I take a break in the afternoon when my kids get home from school and I'm, I start my second job, which is really Ubering them around to all of their act, various activities. And then depending on the day, I might jump back online to finish out the day if there's certain deliverables that I need to get to. Um, 
And then if there is any time left, which I know I only have 24 hours in a day, so this doesn't always happen, um, but I do like to unwind by watching a, a Netflix show if I can fit it into my schedule. Sounds like a very busy day. How how uh, long do you get to yourself before your your kids wake up? I used to, I used to try and get up at like five thirty uh, at least because my kids would wake up at seven. They're now getting up at like quarter past six. So I'm like, oh, my me time is kind of uh, is is disappearing a little bit, uh, and so I'm struggling with that at the moment. So I, I don't really want to wake up at five a.m. if I don't have to, but uh, I'm losing time here. So what, what are you doing? Yeah, the, I mean, the older the kids get, the earlier they get up, the earlier yeah. school starts. So um, I'm the same way. I get up about five. Um, I am lucky that I'm a morning person. Mm. So come nine o'clock at night, I'm a zombie, but I do try and get up super early and start my day. Very cool. Similar. I, I'm <laughs> I'm a zombie at, at nine o'clock and I don't mean, mean to be rude to my partner, but I think I don't have anything left <laughs> in me in, in the tank. Um Sherry, th thanks so much for being a great guest on the, uh, on the podcast. Where can people find you and uh, Globalization Partners online? Yeah, so me personally, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can find me. And then Globalization Partners, our website is www.g-p.com. And we have um, remote office. We're a remote first company, and we have what we call collaboration spaces, not offices, in Boston, San Diego, and regional hub offices around the world, including Ireland, the UAE, India, Singapore, and Mexico. Very cool. Well, we look forward to seeing the, the GP team at, at SASDOC in Dublin later this year. Uh, and thanks so much for being a great guest. Uh, and hopefully I'll come to Boston in the fall uh, one day. Thanks, Alex. This has been great. Thanks. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.